Today's reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 32 from the Common English Bible. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and the legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. He said, A certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered up everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death? I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting, because this son of mine was dead, but has come back to life. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called to one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, Your brother has arrived, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because his, he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in. But his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, Look, I've served you all these years, and I never disobeyed your instruction. Yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Then his father said, Son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Hey, friends. Thank you. 
So I feel like I've heard this story before. I th- maybe you guys have too. What's like the name of this story typically? Prodigal son. Yeah, that's what it was. So in today's message, I will use a lot of the S word and the F word. Shame and failure. We're going to just pluck along. We're going to go through. And that won't be the main focus at the end. Just bear with me, okay? All right. So I'm all about being real, as most of you know that. So I'm going to keep it real, okay? So every time I have heard this sermon preached, taught, or talked about, I always found it a little dreadful. (laughs) You have your two classic approaches to it, right? You have one approach that puts a ton of shame on the prodigal son, but once he repents, it's joyful and a celebration. Basically, he was this dirty sinner, and then he turned away, but once he turned away from his heathen ways, he was welcomed back. So once you repent, you're good. The other approach I've heard was putting a lot of shame into the older son for disrespecting his father, and how all the father wants to do is be happy that the youngest son is returned home safe and sound, but the older brother is just so stuck on his pride. So those are the two main storylines I've kind of heard. Have most of you kind of heard that as well? Yeah? Okay. I'm glad we're all on the same page here. So there's some slight variations, but I've never walked away from those messages with any hope. Those messages were so shame-obsessed, and all I really got out of that was, okay, don't shame God, don't shame your family, but if you repent, you're good. But I'm not really sure Jesus is in the business of shaming people into repentance, and that's not really the gospel or lines up to who Jesus was. But if that's how someone wants to preach it, who am I to, to say anything? But you know what's really crazy to me is while I'm familiar with this parable and the two other parables in Luke 15, the two before this one, the lost coin and the lost sheep, I never really actually paid much attention to the first three verses in Luke. Whenever I've heard this sermon preached, I don't remember hearing the point of the setting and the context and who Jesus was sharing these parables with. And I've seen these three parables kind of as their own story, but never as a whole greater narrative. And when you do that, it really does change everything about this parable. So you have the Pharisees, the legal experts, the sinners, and the tax collectors listening to these stories told by Jesus. And to be honest, I find it a little shocking that the Pharisees and the legal experts even wanted to listen to these stories because they're not really happy with Jesus at the moment, referring to him as this man, like this guy over here, not even wanting, not even worthy of his own name. And they are troubled by the thought of Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, because by eating with them means there's this open table, which means that they have full acceptance of them just as they are. 
There's no mention of what the sin is of the sinners. It's a parable. So you can come up with whatever the worst sin you think it is. Why not, right? As for tax collectors, they were deeply hated because they were often, often forced people to pay far more than what they owed, and they kept the excess. In addition, they were seen by traitors, by the Jewish people, because they were working for the hated Roman government that was occupying their country. So I'm going to go ahead and call out a big elephant in the room. Culturally speaking, this is an extremely offensive parable. If Jesus was going in for the shock factor, he certainly would have gotten it. So in first century Palestine, the context Jesus shares this story, and even there today, and actually a lot of places in the world, there's this shame-honor culture. And I'm going to expand on that as we go forward with this parable. So Jesus begins explaining in this parable that the younger son is asking his father for his portion of the inheritance. Now, in Jesus' shame honor culture, asking, for a living asking a living parent for their inheritance is insanely rude. N.T. Wright explains that asking for his share before his father's death is equivalent to saying, I wish you were dead. A child that would have asked for such a request from their parent would lose respect and honor. They would become dead to their communities. And a parent's response to their child's request would have been pretty angry. But in this parable, you don't see that. The father just does it. Uh, we don't see him pleading with his son to stay. We don't see him angry toward this absurd request. He just gives it to him, and then the son goes on his merry way. The son goes and, and wastes all the money. As you see, he's called par the prodigal, being totally reckless, as if the money was just going to be endless, and he could live like this forever. Well, the money supply is gone, and the famine hits the country. He becomes hungry and is not left with many options. He was hired to be a person that fed pigs, which was seen as filthy and unclean animals. He was miserable. He realizes the people that work for his father as servants are, are fed plentiful while he's starving. The part of coming to his senses is often portrayed as this repentance moment. But I don't know if that is a repentance talking or more this need to figure out, how am I going to survive and live to see another day? It dawns on him that he could improve his situation considerably if he could just persuade his father to take him back as a servant. But regardless of him having a repentant heart or not, he's at a turning point and says, what I am doing isn't working. I need something to change. I can't do it on my own. And I need to ask for help. So now he's going home, not only 
to uh, this family that he has owned, disowned completely. But to make matters worse, he's going back as a total failure. And Jesus' culture, one might travel to a different country to work hard and succeed, bringing honor to the family, and not with the living parents' inheritance money, of course. For someone to return home unsuccessful was an embarrassment to their family and the shame-honor culture. The father sees his son from afar and is filled with joy and compassion. And the father runs and puts his arms around him and kisses him. And this type of response in this culture is also absurd. A senior-aged person in this culture, especially with money, is far too dignified to run anywhere. But the father starts booking it as soon as he sees his son. The father ignores his cultural norms and runs to welcome, embrace, and kiss his son before the son can even apologize. The father throws a big party, and he has his servants get the son the nicest of robe and a ring and sandals. The father's response to his failure of a son would not have been accepted in shame and honor culture. The unconditional love of his father goes against all cultural expectations. And then you have the older son who gets really angry at his father for welcoming back this younger brother of his. He gets this fattened calf, which is normally kept for important events like weddings, and his anger and his pride are distancing himself from his family. And his father stays kind and compassionate with him, but the son argues with him and describes himself as a slave. The father responds with, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But to yell back at your father in this society with such rage is disrespectful and brings deep shame to the whole family. Sort of an extreme parable, like the two parables in this chapter before we see, before this one a celebration over a lost coin, and then going to great lengths to find this one sheep, losing, running the risk of losing the other 99 sheep to find that one that went missing. But Jesus had, an extreme, had to use this extreme parable to show his extreme love for us. Jesus' time on earth and his physical body was running out. He used parables to get across the point of his abundance, love, and grace is for everyone, regardless of what you can and cannot do. It wasn't really getting through to the Pharisees and the legal experts enough to say, my love and mercy knows no bounds. It's enough for the sinners and the tax collectors and you, no matter what, always. So much is left open-ended in this parable, and I think that was intentional. The listener of the parable gets to control what they would have done in this situation. 
Does the younger son truly and authentically become grateful to his father to take him back as his son? Does the older brother finally see and accept what the father has said to him? Regardless of either brother, how either brother would have responded, that doesn't change how the father responds. The character of this father is a stable one. The father never pushes, pushes on either son any sort of expectation. He just celebrates and rejoices when either son wants the father around in their narrative. So instead of having a message be, watch yourself, make sure you're not like the younger son or the older son, but rather sometimes you're going to have a season of life that you might find yourself identifying with one of these sons. And sometimes you're just going to go your own way for a little while, or you might be feeling like you're not getting all that you deserve when you've been doing everything right. And I'm sure we take turns in different seasons of our lives feeling one or the other, and that's okay, because they still received an abundance of grace and love, whether they were deserving or not. We have this tendency as humans to have a really hard time accepting radical grace. And I think it's because we don't know how to show ourselves the grace that we need sometimes. I also don't think it's a concept we need to figure out. In fact, we can't. All we can do is continuously keep reminding ourselves that God's abundance grace overflows to tax collectors and sinners. God's abundance, grace, and love overflows to Pharisees and to legal experts. God's abundant love and grace overflows to the person or people that you struggle to love the most. And God's abundance, grace, and love overflows to you. Amen. <laughs>